Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And today we're looking at a classic episode of Tech Stuff. We're not just looking at it, we're listening to it too, because it turns out, just look at an audio file, not much happens. This original episode published November 21st, 2012. It is titled Tech Stuff Rides in Electric Cars. Bet you can guess what it's about. Let's listen in. Did you know that one of the more popular ways of getting around in the earliest days of uh, the horseless carriage was in an electric vehicle? Yes, but I actually had a course in college where we studied that. So I'll pretend, no, Jonathan, I had no idea. Well, Chris, you ignorant man, I'm going to enlighten you now. If only you had spent some hard-earned cash on a on a, a an education, then you would know that, <laughs> that, that, yeah, the electric car is nothing new in a sense. Uh, we've had... Uh, electric cars for quite some time. They, they in fact, predate the internal combustion engine car. Yeah, they. Uh, it's funny to look at the alternative methods for powering a car yep. uh, these days because, in of course, electric is one of the more common ways to talk about it, or hybrids. Yeah. Again, not new. Um, but th- this is, uh, there are other things, too, like talking about... Um, uh, ethanol and, and plant-based fuels. Biodiesel, sure. These kinds of things were talked about at the beginning of the whole car thing when people were saying, you know, oh, well, what, what would we use to power an engine or, or power a motor to make this happen? And, and they ran through these things. Eventually, petroleum won out. Yeah. And was- the reason this is so challenging now is because the petroleum uh, infrastructure is so well established. Exactly. But... Um, but it's amazing to to think about because we think, oh, well, you know, electric cars, well, they're new. Well, not really. But the problem is the technology uh, hasn't been worked on in, in so long, at least by as many people. Right, yeah. When you go back to the earliest electric vehicles, they were uh, very limited. Uh, you could not go very far because the batteries would run out of charge. Uh, they were not necessarily rechargeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had massive batteries, so that meant that it added to the overall weight of the vehicle itself. They didn't go very fast. They seemed to be all right for getting around uh, like a, a city yeah. uh, in, in the late 19th century, but uh, any difficult terrain, it would start to have problems. Uh, the steam-powered cars actually ended up being more popular than electric ones because they could go much faster. And uh, they were not necessarily the best choice either because they were not terribly efficient. You had to, you know, get the boiler heated up before you could go anywhere. You had to actually start generating steam before you could make the vehicle go. Yeah. And there's always the possibility that it could blow up real good. Yeah. Uh, which uh, not not a, not something you necessarily want when you're gonna take a little trip down to Grandma's is to have the steam boiler explode on the way there. That's that's generally what we consider a bad thing. Yeah, in, it's sort of counterproductive yeah, not, not in the so whole great. transportation world. But gas-powered cars, they had the uh, the power and the uh, versatility that people wanted in those early days of travel. And because of that, and because we did build this huge infrastructure to support the, those sort of cars, there was a lot of momentum built up, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah, to use a 
term in a way that I wasn't intending. But there, yeah, exactly, they they had built up a lot of momentum, and it meant that any new, quote unquote, new developments in uh, this technology was going to be met with resistance, not yeah. necessarily. You know, uh, something that people were consciously trying to resist, but just from the very nature of how the, the industry developed. Yeah. So. Resistance. Oh, man, I am. Well, I just can't get away from it. So I'll embrace it. So the electric car uh, is making kind of a comeback, depending upon who you ask. Yeah. Uh, whom you ask. Yes. Well, yeah, there, it's been in the news a lot, especially during the uh, election cycle here in America. Yes. Um. But do you, do you want to go back and, and start talking about some of these early vehicles first? And we could kind of talk about where we are now. Sure. If you've got some information on early vehicles, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, um, I found a, a very interesting timeline that, that suggested that it was a Scottish inventor, Robert Anderson, who came up with a, uh, a very, very basic electric car uh, with non-rechargeable batteries. <laughs> that seems like a problem, especially in 18, somewhere in, in the early 1830s uh, is when they started working on that. And, uh, you know, they, they, they kept working on that. Uh, I also have uh, Gaston Planté, a French physicist who in 1859 had a rechargeable lead acid battery. Actually, the lead acid battery has been sort of the staple for electric cars for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, they're extremely heavy. Probably because of the lead-related, I mean, just a guess. Um, Safe bet. Uh, but also, uh, Camille, uh, I, I mean, it doesn't have the accent on it, Far, uh, in 1881, improved upon that idea. And then in uh, 1891, in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, William Morrison came up with a, an electric car in the United States here. Um, and, uh, you know, they were working on those. They, they even had a fleet of electric taxis in New York. Yes, that, in uh, that the 1890s. Caused, caused the first uh, first pedestrian fatality in the Western Hemisphere, as I recall. Now you're just being, you know... Do I, am, I not, am I not correct? Wasn't there someone who stepped off a trolley and then was hit by an electric taxi? <laughs> I'm almost well, certain that's true. Okay, well, I don't have that in my notes. Okay. So, the, that's, possibly. That's possible trivia that may live somewhere in Jonathan's head and could have possibly been made up entirely. Yeah, well... Let us know. Send your email to techstuffatdiscovery.com. True enough. The um, yeah, they had a, they had about sixty of them in New York um, back in the uh, about the turn of the twentieth century. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, gosh, that's right. I have to say, I have to specify turn of the century. Yeah, it just shows that I'm still not thinking in a twenty first century frame of mind. Yes, but in in this case, it was a New York state of mind. Yes, it was. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, as a matter of fact, um, this, I had, I found a really cool timeline on NPR, which is, uh, National Public Radio here in the, in the United States, um, that said that, uh, at the turn of the century, 20th century, there were f- about 4,000 cars on the road, and at that point, it was split, uh, about 33% each, steam, gasoline, and electric cars. Um, basically, they were clean, but, um, cold weather, and batteries, yeah, don't yeah. get along yeah. well. If it, yeah, lead acid battery gets really cold. It's harder to get that juice flowing. The yeah. electrochemical uh, reactions that need to take place are are slowed down by the cold. Uh, that's one of those things where you know I, I've heard people say that in order to preserve your batteries, uh, you should put them in someplace cold, like a freezer or refrigerator. Don't do that. It actually 
makes it much more difficult for those electrical uh, electrochemical reactions to take place. So it you might think, oh, it's it's slowing it down. So therefore, um, the juice will last longer even when I'm not using it in a in a um, a device. But it's not going to work very well when you plug it back in. So. Uh, same sort of thing is true in cold weather. Uh, you, you get in the car and you turn it on, you just barely creeping along because that electrochemical reaction is taking place so slowly. You're not getting the juice you need to get get moving. Yep. Yep. Now, uh, it's you know we we've made some advances since then. So there have been some more electric cars, and we don't necessarily use lead acid batteries in all of them anymore either. Um, no, but that was that was state of the art and then not terribly distant past. That's true. Um, you know, there are there are other types of rechargeable batteries and of course they do need to be rechargeable. Yeah. That's very important of course. Yeah, otherwise um, we would have to have these stations everywhere that would have, you know, batteries you'd have to buy a new battery every time your car was running out of juice, you know, you'd switch them out and that would not be very economical and it would also take up I mean a ton of space. Yep. Yep. Now of course um you might say, well, what what happened? Uh, Henry Ford happened. Yeah, he, <laughs> um, he boy did he happen. Well, he and and from what I've read about him, uh, he was a convert to the idea of using petroleum based cars. Um, he he did like the internal combustion engine, but preferred uh, alternative fuels to uh, to gasoline. But um, the thing is, you know, once the the Model T was released in 1908. For eight hundred fifty dollars, um, uh, basically that that you know it was affordable for so many people, and uh, his production system made these cars so easily available um, that they were you know they were undercutting the prices of electric cars, and they were far more available. So it took off. Yep, and uh, then like you know the infrastructure gets built around it, and then we're we're kind of. Not stuck so much as committed to a yeah. particular type of vehicle, and it takes a lot of effort to change that. And the reason for the effort behind changing that uh, is is largely through an environmental concern. Yeah, but it goes beyond environment too. But we'll cover all of these things. So, you know, if you if you just think about it uh, from a, a very basic point of view, uh, and you're and you're really oversimplifying things. It'd be easy to say, oh, electric car makes sense because it does not produce pollution the way a gas-powered car does. Yeah, it's not emitting, uh, you know, any sort of uh, 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 gas that could could pollute the environment. You're not worrying about all the the uh, particles that would come out of uh, exhaust. All of that sort of stuff. Um, Applies, And so there is that part of the argument where if you were to just look at that part of the equation, it'd be very easy to say, ah, well, electric cars, I mean, that's better for the world. So we should we should totally switch to that. Mm -hmm. But you should know, of course, that nothing is ever that simple. Yeah. To to take in other considerations, you have to think, well, how was the electricity generated? The electricity that is charging those batteries in that electric car, which you, you know you have to recharge. Most electric cars have, uh, well, around 40 to 50 miles of range for a full charge and then up. Yeah. You know, you need to have at least that because otherwise you would 
you know, look, just on a regular commute to work, you could end up stranding yourself because on the drive there and then half the drive back, you've already gone further than what your car can accomplish on its own. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Edison was working on that problem. In 1910, he came out with a, uh, a uh, nickel steel battery that would last for about 65 to 100 miles, mm-hmm. uh, according to the NPR timeline. Um, and, uh, you know, that would, that would make it far more appealing for reasonable commutes. I mean, uh, back at that time, people were not driving the distances they do now, right. at least here in America, yeah. um, to do different things. And uh, so, so that was an improvement. But um, I think another um, peg on the uh, side of the um, gasoline car was Charles Kettering, who in uh, 1912 came out with the uh, electric automobile starter and, uh, you know, so rather than getting out and cranking your car up with right. a crank in the front right. to get it started, that made the gasoline engine easier to start. And when you had the combination of that and the lower prices of the gasoline-powered cars and the infrastructure, uh, I think that helped make a serious difference on the, in, in, the, uh, in favor of gasoline-powered cars. Right, right. And so, I mean, of course, it's a totally different world than the one we have today where we're looking at the, the various... Uh, uh, impact of the gasoline cars out there on the street. Uh, But getting back to the idea of the environmentally friendly, if your electricity is being produced by uh, coal-powered power plants, then there's pollution going out into the environment on behalf of the electricity you're using. So you're not, you know, the, the car's not as clean as you would first think necessarily. Now, if, you're, if your electricity is coming through other means, like you have a huge solar panel farm attached to your house, and you might, then that's much more clean. I mean, yes. you still have to consider things like what materials went into producing both the car and the solar panels, because then we might get into rare earth minerals. But we did an entire episode of Tech Stuff on rare earth minerals, and I suggest you go back and listen to that right now. We'll wait. So anyway, now you know, I'm assuming you're all in the honor system that you did listen, but now you know those rare earth minerals, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So that's another thing you have to think about with this electric versus gas. Uh, beyond that, you have to think about things like uh, the, the cost of the batteries because depending upon what kind of batteries are in your car – your electric car, they do eventually have to be replaced. Yes. The, they will eventually run out of enough of the chemicals for, to make that electrochemical process happen, and you'll have to change them out. And they can be really expensive. So that can add to the price of an electric car. Uh, and, and and price is another one of those issues. Like if you look at how much does it cost to drive an electric car versus a gas-powered car, and you have to take into consideration everything, like mm-hmm. not just the fuel prices and the electricity prices. I mean, that's that would be easy to compare because I'm guessing that in almost every case, the cost of electricity is going to be lower than the cost of gas. So from that perspective, they're the same. But then you have to think of things like, all right, well, replacing batteries, you got to factor that into the cost. You know, that's going to happen. So that drives the electric prices up. But then you think, well, gas-powered cars tend to require more maintenance because they have more moving parts. They have fluids that they have to handle, like the the gasoline and things of that nature. So you've got tubes and pipes and stuff that you don't have in electric cars. They don't they don't have those those things. There's the only fluids you have to worry about things like brake fluid and uh, uh, windshield wiper fluid and 
of course, headlight fluid. Um, but, well, but otherwise, yeah, you know, it's it, it, so. What, what I'm trying to get at is that this is a really complex issue, and it's really, really, really tricky to do a direct comparison between the two. In general, however, most of the information I, I see shows that in the long run, being five years and longer, an electric car properly maintained uh, versus a gas-powered car properly maintained is is a better deal. But it, it does take a few years for that to Kick in. Yeah, I do feel compelled to point out that most automobile manufacturers uh, believe that their batteries will outlast the life of the car. So it is unlikely that you will have to replace the array of batteries in a, a battery-powered vehicle. Yeah. Unlikely. And it also depends on how long you keep the vehicle, too. I yes. mean, most people, uh, the, the lifespan of, of cars has been increasing here in the United States, um, where once it was in the single digits, it's now you know, in the double digits. Um, but, of course, you do, as Jonathan said, need to take care of your vehicle in order for that to happen. Um, and there's also, uh, you know, there's there's also a matter of uh, shipping costs, too. Yep. Um, because parts for some of these, these things um, have to come from different places. And so... Um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, a few years ago they were talking about the early hybrid vehicles and people were buying them because they used less gasoline because they were, you know, a, a mixture of, of battery power and, and gas power. Um, but they said, well, you know, the thing is the parts come from so many different places that it takes fossil fuels to, you know, to be burned to get those parts to one place to have them assembled. And then take them to the place where you buy the vehicle, and some of the uh, the green hue that your your um, either partly or completely battery powered vehicle uh, has is sort of tinged by um, the uh, offset of the. Okay, it gets an oily weird. tinge. Yes, it gets an oily tinge. I, from I, was, the I, I was waiting. Fuels. I was just waiting because I was like, I was staring at Chris, thinking, "Where is this going?" <laughs> so so yeah, was, but, I, but I get it. I get it. Any totally right. as green as they say it is. It's yeah. It's definitely a complex issue. And and on top of that, you know, you might say, well, the the cost of an electric vehicle uh, often uh, right now. Uh, as we're recording this podcast anyway, tends to be more expensive than a comparable vehicle that is gas-powered. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been improving. Right. And it's one of those things like any technology where the yeah. earlier versions tend to be more expensive. And as we improve our manufacturing techniques and and uh, everything around that, then the prices can come down. On top of that, we have to remember the political side of this, where in the United States, there are, especially within particular states, we're talking about both federal and state level here, um, there are incentives in many places to purchase an electric car yes. where you can get tax credits or rebates, and that helps bring the overall price of the vehicle down closer to within the range of other cars in that class. Hey guys, it's Jonathan from 2019. I'm here to pump the brakes a little bit on this classic episode for us to take a quick break. A lot of complex issues here. Some of them are economic, some of them are environmental, some of them are political. And that's why it's really been uh, kind of a hot-button issue. I mean, particularly that political part with the, the tax credits. I've seen... I've seen praise for that, where where people have said, because of this, you have put electric vehicles within the grasp of more 
more folks than otherwise would have that opportunity because it w- otherwise it would be too expensive for them to buy. Right. On the flip side, there are people saying, this is our tax money. You're giving credits to other people with my money. Uh, I think that's a very – personally, this is my opinion. I think that's a fairly short-sighted view saying that my money is going to give someone else a break when you're thinking, okay, ultimately the idea here is that we're trying to get ourselves off a of dependence on oil and gasoline as mm-hmm. much as we possibly can. And in that sense, it is a benefit to me, even if I never go out and buy an electric car, to help reduce that dependency on oil. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you get into global politics, where you have to worry about who is it that owns the oil that we are getting? Mm-hmm. And what is our political relationship with them? Uh, what's our political relationship with the country surrounding that one? What's that country's political relationship? It gets so thorny. So... In my uh, in my view, the in the long term game, uh, this incentive to go out and get an electric car could be uh, of great benefit to everyone. But again, you have to be able to take that long term look and just uh, suppress that uh, that initial urge to say this isn't fair because my money is going to help someone else, and I don't see like I'm not buying an electric car, so I don't see why I have to pay this this tax money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, um, whether or not you agree with it, it's it's easy to at least understand that point. I mean, not all not all politics are understandable. That's true. But, it, but it's understandable to say, hey, you know, I'm 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 paying taxes. I want to see something for my money. And uh, well, the thing, the easy argument for that is, we'll go buy an electric car, dude. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, that that's that's oversimplifying the argument. That, yeah. The thing is, because they're so expensive, they're not affordable for everyone. Um, Perhaps somebody particularly likes their car. Their car enthusiasts are very passionate about certain vehicles. Yep. Um, and you know, for a long time, we've had uh, gas-powered vehicles that people have fallen in love with. So you know, there there are going to be people who still love that, um, which, in in my personal opinion, is understandable. But I also would like to uh, see electric cars succeed because I do think they are, um, you know, better for the environment in the long haul. Uh, at least in the immediate sense. Now, there's a lot, as we were talking about, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. No. There's a lot of work that has to be done. One company that I think um, is interesting to to follow is a company called Better Place, which is, um, I believe, um, uh, an Israeli company, and they have been working with uh, organizations all over the world to test out their, uh, their systems. Now, Wired Magazine had an article about them and um, their founder, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his, his first name right or not, uh, Shai Agassi. Um, and uh, basically they have, their their website is very in, informative about the different kinds of technologies that they are looking at. But they're working on ways to convert uh, more typical cars rather than building them from scratch to uh, to electricity and and. Uh, Basically, creating the infrastructure that would be necessary to power these vehicles, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, no pun intended, haha, <laughs> power. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's. I think that you know, if you poke around on the website, they have at least they give you an idea of what it's the kind of work it's going to take, and it's not going to be. Um, I don't think it's going to be one company or one person or one country around the world. It's going to take. 
many people in many countries, you know, working on the, the problem to generate a real solution to it. Because, you know, frankly, if you look at the timeline on NPR, it, there, there, um, it goes from the downfall of the electric car in 1920, basically all the things we were talking about before, to 1973. Yeah. And that's because people just weren't working on the problem in between. I mean, they were, but they were, it was more of a, wouldn't say hobby. It was something where they were testing ideas yeah, more yeah. so than we're going to build a fleet of electric cars. We're going to take it back from these uh, these gasoline powered ideas. We're going to we're going to completely re- revamp that. And it goes from 1973 to 1996 when uh, General Motors came out with the EV1, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it sold at Saturn dealerships. I remember because I have a Saturn and I, I saw one every once in a while. You joined the cult. I did join the cult. We also had a Saturn, so I can't I can't criticize. Um, which is now an orphan car, um, but there have been others, of course. You know, recently um, that are all electric. Tesla. Oh yeah, Tesla is uh, pretty Musk. famous. And in fact, Automobile Magazine mm-hmm. named the Tesla Model S as its two- 2013 car of the year. Keeping in mind we're still in 2012, and yeah. car years make no sense to me. But no, they named the Tesla Model S. Uh, the car of the year and said that it was um, uh, a very impressive ride, a very quiet, very fast car. And uh, they apparently were all endangering their driver's licenses by (laughs) driving far too fast in it. Well, the the Tesla Roadster... Um, yeah, which was car. its first, yeah, which is a sports car. It was its first car out there. Um, I understand has a whiplash-inducing acceleration. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it just it's an incredibly fast acceleration. Like just the the it's it's a really powerful vehicle, and uh, we should also say that according to the Energy Collective, there's been a 228 percent increase in sales of electric vehicles from 20. 11 to 2012. Mm-hmm. But if you want to know that what that is in real numbers, you know, you're 228% more, that sounds incredible. When you get down to real numbers, that's around 38,000 cars. Yeah. So that's about the same number of cars in an entire year that some of the more popular models sell in a month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to take keep your perspective on there. So, yes, the the industry is growing, which is good, but it's still very tiny in comparison to the traditional uh, gasoline-powered cars, and even to hybrid vehicles, which have had, they've they've had a few more years to uh, to really start hitting the market, at least in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to talk really briefly, just to explain very quickly the what makes electric cars work, because we talked about how in the gas engine you have all these tubes and pipes and stuff. You've got you're using combustion to help drive pistons. Um, you know, expanding gases, all this kind of stuff. That's that's what's providing the the energy you need to make the car go. But with an electric car, you're talking about batteries, a controller, and an ele- electric motor. And the electric motor is what's generating all the uh, energy to make the car go. And the the basics of an of an electric motor are pretty simple. And that comes down to uh, to magnets. How do they work? Uh, we actually have an article on it if you want to know. But all right, so imagine that you have uh, – this is a very super simple electric motor. Let's say that you have um, you have a, a magnet and it's uh, in sort of a semicircle uh, shape and you've got a, a north end of the magnet on one side and the south end of the magnet on the other side. Okay? Yeah. So it's uh, – think of it like an arc. 
So you've got the south end on one side of the arc and the north end on the other side of the arc. In between, uh, like s- mounted on a on a, a pole, you have a a rotor that can spin freely around in a circle, and then you have mounted on that rotor an electromagnet. Yeah. Now, when you run a current through that electromagnet, it creates a magnetic field, and uh, it, it magnetizes this electromagnet. So you have a north pole and a south pole. Now. When the north pole and the no- of the electromagnet and the north pole of that permanent magnet that's mounted in an arc uh, are close to one another, they repel each other. Yes, and Santa Claus flies off. And then when the north pole of the electromagnet gets close to the south pole of the permanent magnet, they attract one another. So, Which disturbs all the penguins. If you just have the current running, I'm ignoring Chris for the moment. <laughs> when you, when you, if you just have the current running through one direction in this electromagnet, it's going to align itself so that the north pole of the electromagnet is pointing at the south pole of the permanent magnet, and, and the south pole of the electromagnet is pointing toward the north pole of the permanent magnet. But then if you were to reverse the current, that would also reverse the polarity of the magnet itself, the electromagnet. Ooh. The poles would switch, which would mean that now suddenly it would be pushing away from the, po- the permanent magnet uh, as it is currently um, uh, uh, aligned. So it would move and rotate so that the, the poles were again attracted to the opposites. So by switching the current, the direction of current, inside the electromagnet at a particular rate, you can get that rotor to turn. And as the rotor turns, which I think was a soap opera, it starts, it's, it's doing work. Now you've started. You can harness that work to generate electricity. Yeah. That's the basis of the electric motor. So you're using magnets to turn a rotor. Uh, by the way, that we usually refer to that as a... Uh, a brushed motor, and the reason for that is there, there are um, contacts on the inside of that rotor uh, that, when the magnet is spinning around, it's what's uh, allowing the the current to change direction, uh, because you're you're getting power from batteries. Mm-hmm. Batteries are direct current. That's DC. So uh, direct current is always going to flow in the same direction. Alternating current is electricity that is reversing uh, the the flow of current rapidly in cycles, pulses. Um, So in order to convert DC to AC, which is what we really need for things like an electric car, you would have these these little, what are called brushes, uh, inside the electric motor that once they hit certain contacts, that's what would allow the the flow of electricity to change direction. Uh, there are also brushless electric motors. In this case, what you do is you put the permanent magnets on the rotor. Mm-hmm. So the rotor magnets are never going to change. And you put the electromagnets on the field around the rotor, and you just change the, the direction of current in the permanent magnets that are stationary. So you don't have to worry about figuring out how you're going to swap the flow of current uh, over and over with a moving object. And the rotor itself will still spin and generate energy that way, Yeah, electricity. Jonathan from 2019 again. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Now, you know, some, some battery recharging is accomplished in gasoline power cars through the alternator. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are other regenerative braking and some other things that help out with that. Right. But, of course, it's much more of an issue with electric cars. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and and the distance. The it's hard to say. It's weird for me to say mileage because I always think you know miles per gallon, um, and also kilometers. Do do people in and this is an honest question. Kilometers I never looked per at, liter. Kilometers. Com, kilometerage. What do you call it in Europe? Anyway. Distance. Distance. <laughs> um, yeah, the distance you could travel, let's just say that, is, uh, and I was being silly, but I really don't know. Yeah. Um, the uh, the distance you can travel with an electric car is still one of the big issues. It's still a reason why people are hesitant to adopt the, the vehicles, although they're, they're more likely to these days. Um, but some people have tried to get around that with sort of uh, combinations that uh, seem, you know, like they they might be more challenging than others. Uh, Chevrolet here in the United States has the uh, the Volt, which is primarily an electric car, but it does have a gasoline powered engine in it that can take over. It's sort of like the reverse of a, a Toyota Prius, where you use your um, your gasoline engine to get from, like, say, on the highway, and then as you're driving in the city, where it's stop and go, it converts over to electricity. Um, the the Volt is supposed to work primarily on electricity, and uh, when the battery runs down and you still need to get somewhere, the gasoline engine can help you get the rest of the way. Uh, Better Place uh, envisions a world in which the batteries are not attached to the vehicle itself. So you could pull into a battery a battery replacement station, and somebody will pull the battery for you, put in a freshly charged one, hook it up, and you're ready to go, um, in addition to charging stations. And again, that's expensive because that's infrastructure. That's more than just the car. You've got to have the stations available to do that. But right. I have to say, that is a, a pretty practical way of looking at it. Yeah, we've also talked about fuel cells in the past that are not too different, or a hydrogen-based car, and same sort of uh, same sort of challenges apply to that. Where you're talking about, yeah, the hydrogen-powered car sounds like a great idea. You get heat and some water vapor, which, granted, is technically a greenhouse gas, but it's you know, it's not a pollutant in in the way that uh, carbon dioxide is. Right. But uh, you know, you you got uh, you know when that's your your uh, your output. And you use it sounds like a, a hydrogen-based fleet of cars would be a great idea, but then you have to figure out how to support the fleet of cars, and that's where we start running into problems, where you you're looking at a multiple multi-billion-dollar problem with most countries, including places like the United States, which are it's a big country with lots of people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are larger countries with even more people in it, and for them, it would be you know a, a, a significant challenge to. Uh, switch over. Uh, electric cars are not maybe not quite as dramatic a uh, uh, a shift in the sense that uh, with the right adapters you would be able to plug your car in uh, in into any uh, uh, outlet that was capable of putting out the right amount of power. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't necessarily have to have. Uh, refueling stations designed specifically for electric cars, except when you're talking about going on a really long trip. Uh, if you were doing a, a road trip of any length, then you're thinking, well, I, I definitely need to figure out something to supplement the uh, distance this car can go, because otherwise I'm never going to get to where I'm headed. Right. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've made some pretty strong strides in that as well. Tesla... Uh, reports that it can, with its vehicles, hit 250 miles on a single charge, which is pretty impressive. Yep, yep. But there are other challenges, too. Um, actually, some that are very recent. Um, and no jokes, please, if you know something about Fisker. But um, 
just just as of the time we're recording this, it's very early November. Um, Hurricane Sandy just hit the uh, northeastern part of the United States and went into Canada um, and caused quite a bit of damage up there. And uh, I found this kind of interesting um, because uh, I found a story about Fisker in which 16 um, Fisker Karmas, which are expensive electric vehicles, um, were submerged by saltwater from the storm surge of Hurricane Sandy. And the saltwater affected the cars and they caught fire. That's bad karma. Yes, they're $100,000 a piece, so it's very bad karma. Um, but basically, they were, they were apparently stationed in uh, Port Newark, New Jersey. And when the storm came in, uh, the storm surge, you know, caused the, uh, the tides to swell. They got doused in salt water. And apparently, when they got flooded, the systems in the car reacted to the salt water poorly, to say the very least, and the cars caught fire. Um, now, they've been accused, the reason I said this, if you're not familiar with them, they have been accused of fires before, but I, I think, uh, in general, this could be a hazard. Um, if you live in, in a storm-prone area, this might be something that you have to worry about. You yep. might say, well, I have to evacuate, not because I think the storm is going to be bad, but there will be flooding, and if it's <laughs> flooding enough where my car will be partially fire. submerged... Yeah. Um, you know, people have that problem now with, with uh, combustion engines when a gasoline-powered car, if the water gets to a certain depth, you know, your gasoline-powered car won't work. Yep. A diesel might, sort of depending. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of things to think about. I mean, I think, I think for yeah. the general approach, you're, the, the move toward electric cars is, I think, more positive than not. <laughs> positive? No. No, I, th- I think it could happen. The you thing is, my will to podcast. <laughs> no, I think it could happen. I think, but it's going to take work. Yeah, and uh, people need to realize that. Yeah, it's it's going to be more expensive at first, but you know, in the long run, the technology will improve, the the infrastructure will improve, and and in the long run, it might be uh, we all might be better off for it. I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. It's always great to listen to Chris chat away about anything, really. And if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes for the show, you can email me. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You're going to find an archive of every single episode ever published ever since we started this 11 years ago. You will also find links to where we are on social media, so you can reach out on Facebook or Twitter, and you'll find a link to our online store where you can purchase merchandise from Tech Stuff that will make you super duper cool. And on top of that, it goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.